Hi friends. Now, you may remember earlier on this year that I got to go away to LA and I got to see the guys from Romwood, which was really cool. Got to record some routines with them. I also got to go and see the guys from The Human Garage. Now, The Human Garage is a wellness and movement specialist facility near Santa Monica, uh, just off LA's beach. And I first heard of them when Ben Greenfield mentioned them on his podcast. They have a very progressive, very forward-thinking and different alternative view of human anatomy and wellness in general. I thought it would be interesting for me to pay them a visit, so I got in touch, and very kindly they let me go down and use the facility. It ended up being around about a two to two and a half hour procedure. We were supposed to sit down and podcast while I was out there, but then the guy who played Superman in the 2005 movie came in, so he uh, he took precedence. But this facility deals with NBA stars, NFL players, doctors, Hollywood movie stars. They literally have got one of the hottest spots in all of LA. I'm very, very fortunate to have been able to go and see them. I wanted to get Gary, who is the co-founder on the podcast, to just try and explain where this very popular, very alternative thinking um, success has come from. And I think he manages to do it today. So I'm not going to take it any further. I'm going to let Gary speak for himself. One final thing, if you are in LA and you do want to check out The Human Garage, they haven't sponsored this episode at all. However, the waiting list is incredibly long if you want to see them. But if you mention Modern Wisdom, when you book for your consultation application, they will bump you to the top of the list. I'm going to be really interested to hear some feedback about this one. So don't forget, get at me at Chris Willex on Instagram, Twitter, wherever it is that you want to get in touch or modernwisdompodcast at gmail.com. This episode is brought to you by Crafted London. Finding men's jewellery that doesn't suck is very difficult and Crafted London have nailed it. They're the number one men's jewellery company worldwide. They're sweatproof, waterproof, heatproof and gym-proof. They've got custom designs in gold and silver, necklaces, chains, pendants, bracelets, rings, and earrings. If you've seen me on any of the big cinema episodes on YouTube wearing a necklace, it will always be from Crafted. I absolutely love it. It works with formal wear, casual wear, whether it's daytime or nighttime. All of the pieces are super high quality. The designs are great, and uh, I love them. That's It's all I wear. Also, they have an unlimited lifetime guarantee, so if your piece breaks for any reason at any point during the entire life of the product, they will give you a new one for free. Get a 15% discount site-wide on everything by going to bit.ly slash cdwisdom and using the code MW15 at checkout. That's bit.ly slash letter C, letter D, wisdom, and MW15 at checkout. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Your business gets to a certain size and the cracks start to emerge. Things that you used to do in a day are taking a week. You're drowning so much, you've now promoted your dog from company mascot to customer service representative. If this is you, you should know these three numbers. 37,025 and 1. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25, that is the 25th year anniversary of NetSuite. 25 years of helping businesses to do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And one, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs in one efficient system. With one source of truth, manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in one place. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash modern. That's netsuite.com slash modern to get your own KPI checklist today. This episode is brought to you by AG1. AG1 is a daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. Even with the best diet in the world, it is hard to make sure that you get everything that you need. And through a science-driven formulation, vitamins, probiotics, and whole food sourced nutrients, AG1 delivers comprehensive support for the brain, gut, 
and immune system. This is why Joe Rogan and Lex Friedman and Dr. Andrew Huberman and Tim Ferriss are all massive fans. They have tried every other product out there like I have, and this is by far the best one available. Since 2010, AG1 have improved the formula 52 times in the pursuit of making the best foundational nutrition supplement possible through high quality ingredients and rigorous standards. Also, there's a 90-day money-back guarantee, so you can buy it and try it for 89 days, and if you don't like it, they'll just give you your money back. Head to drinkag1.com slash modernwisdom for that 90-day money-back guarantee, a year's free supply, vitamin D, five free travel packs, and more. That's drinkag1.com slash modernwisdom. But for now, on to the show. Gary, welcome to Modern Wisdom. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? Very good, thank you. And yourself? I'm doing fantastic. Sitting here in Southern uh, California, nice and sunny. We've been having a little bit of a heat wave out here. Well, it's uh, not too bad in the UK for once either, actually. I'm, uh, I'm going to guess, based on my experience when I was out with you guys, the weather is not going to be, uh, not going to be quite the same. But we'll take, we'll take what we can get in England at the moment. <laughs> for sure so uh, really good having you out here it was uh, really interesting i just wish we had more time with you yeah me too me too it's um la is one of those places it's uh kind of like a hot spot for wellness and you know it pushes the forefront and the boundaries to a degree of of treatments and of um you know i mean weed is legal out there at the moment cannabis is legal and you know it, it seems like it's um Seems like it's very progressive on all fronts. Would you say that's about right? Yeah, I think I think it's really a, a uh, progressive in all fronts. I mean, I'm from Canada originally, and uh, in Vancouver, we're a bit more liberal in in all aspects of things. But uh, down here, you've just got a collection of uh, both athletes, um, professional, otherwise Olympic athletes. So you have a little bit more of the treatment talent and the thought processes and the modalities that are out here. So you just get a bit more of everything. That's all. Yeah, I get that. So you are the co-founder of the Human Garage. Yes, my uh, my wife is my co-founder. She is uh, the boss. She signs all the checks. <laughs> I've learned I've learned uh, through submission to be very nice to her. Fantastic. Well, you don't want you don't want your paycheck cut. That's exactly what happens with my business partner sometimes. If I've pissed him off, for, if I've pissed him off for a little while, I'll, I'll find out that he's got a bunch of my paychecks sat in the safe. <laughs> for sure, for sure. So. But we, we, have a, we have a whole uh, variety of people, as you know, that come out here. So we have people from all over the world, including UK is our third largest draw market. So we have a, a, quite a bit of people come from the UK out to Venice Beach to see us. So take everyone through at home who hasn't heard of the Human Garage. Take us through the story, what, where you started, what your ethos is, where you are now, and, and, and what you do. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a little bit of a journey, but... Um, but one of the best ways for people to get the the whole story is to is to listen to some of the backgrounds. I mean, there's a number of different uh, different reports and media outlets that we've reported to. It, it started from a, in the short form, the time that we have. It started with me being a professional bodybuilder back in the '80s, and um, I fell under a 600 pound squat. And from that point forward, the rest of my adult life, I've been in one form of therapy or another, trying to resolve that. And um, and I was using exercise, and, uh, stretching, and 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 chiropractic, physical therapy, Agassiz, Rolfing, Feldenkrais method, and anything and everything um, to keep my body uh, out of pain. And it just and I was always in like uh, from from my early twenties through to my uh, mid thirties, I was in a a two to four, four pain every day. But towards the end of the uh, my thirties, that started being more like a six to nine pain every day. So after being through every form of therapy, literally known to mankind, not only here, but all through Europe, all through Asia, um, and I was just determined to find a way to solve my issue. And I, and I realized that, that if, uh, if I didn't understand enough to tell people to communicate my issue, every time I went to another modality, they had another way of looking at it. So I had to find a unified way of communicating what my problems were. <clears throat> so I looked for um, for foundations in chiropractic as a, and as physical therapy to try and help explain my problem. So when, 
I don't know if you've ever experienced this, uh, Chris, but if you go from doctor to doctor with a chronic issue of any kind, having to explain yourself and go through their process each and every time, it gets pretty tedious. And after hundreds and hundreds of these, you just start learning the language. So as we learned the language of chiropractic and physical, physical therapy, we went to the next step and I, I was just trying to really solve my issue. So I, I sought out the top 10 people in probably every, every industry you can imagine and went to them wherever they were in the world. Um, and towards the end, as I got into my thirties, my, <clears throat> my back would be going out once or twice a year, but it got to a point where it was, it was starting to go out every month or two. And, uh, at the end of it, it was like 10 times I would, my back went out and I would be out for about two weeks at a time. And it, so I was in, in bed 22 weeks, uh, towards the end of my journey. And <clears throat> that's where the foundation is where I said something has to change because, you may or may not experience this or, or have any ref relationship to this, but at some point I didn't want to kill myself, but I really didn't want to be alive anymore. It was just a excruciating pain. I can imagine. And, it's, uh, I can imagine it's very, very uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, and they, neurologically it gets stressful too because the pain itself starts become the pain. Well, yeah, it'll start to repattern. That's correct, isn't it? Especially with back pain, I'm right in thinking that. As you get back pain, you be, you become more susceptible to further back pain. Correct. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's because your your whole body is trying to organize and keep itself uh, aligned and working in in gravity, and that's really what the the challenge was. Is that we were looking at the body the wrong way, or in my opinion, the most of the industry has looked at the body the wrong way, and that's part of the reason why we have so many people that are in rough shape. Okay, so that's the, the setup, I suppose. Who was it that you went to go and see? You said that you went to go and see a number of experts around the world. Can you remember who they were? Yeah, I, I just don't feel it appropriate to call up people, but nothing worked. <laughs> so, Oh, dear. If, uh, if I had a smashing success with somebody, I'd maybe want to call it out. But just, just basically, and it wasn't the practitioners, it's just the way that we, there, we were approaching the body. Each modality learns how to help the body uh, with its background and its own view of the body. And uh, if you don't fit in any one of those boxes, and, you know, there's a number of people out there that are going around from practitioner to practitioner and from modality to modality, and it's just and they, they trade off a little bit of, of success or a little bit of pain reduction, but, but then they have to go somewhere else. And that's typically what happens. People just get pushed around from therapy to therapy until, until one time that they're just no longer to do it, able to do it anymore. And that's, that's, that's generally what happens to people today. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that. So where do you go from there? You've spent enough time with the doctors that you feel like you could do their job for them. And uh, what, yeah. what, what comes after that? Well, you know, it, it, there's, a, there's a number of different things. So I was using a, whatever therapy I could to manage my own pain and discomfort. And people always ask, what kind of pain was it? it was back pain, neck pain, it was generalized discomfort. Um, it was, it was something where I would have ribs going out all the time. My neck would go out all the time and there just seemed to be no, no, uh, solution for it. So, um, at one point of all the places I travel in the world and I'm, and I'm literally mean all through Europe and all through Asia. Uh, one of the places that I, I found a guy in Orange County, which is about 45 minutes south of where I am right now. And he had a neuromuscular therapy that he was using to make Olympic runners run faster. And that therapy got me up and over the hurdle. And, and as long as I did it twice a week, I was virtually out of pain. Now, I still had high levels of discomfort. But, you know, when you've been in pain for a long time, a day or two without pain is just you'll take any win you can get. Vast and difference, right? Yeah. And that therapy was, uh, got me out of pain. I used that. Uh, was, we, at the time, it was called brain-body cal calibration. It, um, I looked at the guy who was doing the therapy. He was a PhD in medical science, kinesiology and pain management. And I looked at him and said, he's about 10 years older than me. He's probably going to die before me. Um, I don't mean that to be facetious, but I'm looking at saying, this is the only therapy I've had in 20 years that keeps me even stable. Um, I'm going to need somebody else to do this. So I convinced him to, um, to go off and hire. Uh, we, we started up the Rubin Science Centers, and we hired five doctors, 40 therapists, thereabouts, and we used that as a, as a platform to start uh, and expand his thought process, which was a neuromuscular therapy. And like I said, the therapy got me out of pain, but I had to do it twice a week. And I became a victim of yet another problem, which was uh, the fear of pain. So I was out of pain. I had to go on a vacation. 
And I knew that it, within the two weeks that I was going to be gone, that I would be in pain before I got back. And I, and I just, just couldn't get myself to leave because I couldn't get myself to go into that level of pain again. And that's where I realized that, that my solution was, was to manage my pain through treatment wasn't a good solution. I needed to find an answer. And so as we looked to additional modalities to try and bring them in to help me understand what to do next, um, my partner at the time just, you know, he, he said it was my name on the door, uh, and it was, um, and it was Rubenstein Centers. And he said, uh, so, no, this is the modality of staying here. So at that point, I decided to, uh, to leave and, and continue my journey and find a way to get myself uh, permanently out of pain. And that's what led to the human garage. Wow. So what was it specifically that you think was the difference between the most recent treatment that we've just been discussing there and everything that you'd tried previously? Because as you say, it didn't necessarily fix the discomfort, but it did fix the pain. And that's a pretty big step to take at the beginning. So can you identify what it was about that treatment that was different? Yeah. So the the treatment we were using uh, previous to this, if you looked at it, I mean, people have seen it online. Um, you see two or three people standing around a table. It kind of looks like ART, but the intention was much different. We had a fund. Basically, there's been two fundamental beliefs that have been with us since the day we started. The first one was the human body is designed to heal itself. And if it is designed to heal itself, we either have to stimulate it into doing something or, <clears throat> or stimulate it into not doing something and just let the body figure itself out. That's, that's the one um, primary belief that we had. And the second one was I just I didn't believe that I was unfixable. I didn't believe that I was the only one uh, that everybody I knew that had to continue doing therapy for the rest of my life. So with that foundation of belief, where I literally started working in a garage. And it was my garage here in Venice Beach. And I had, had a PT that I was working with. And we were just experimenting. And we were just following a series of what seemed at the time dumb ideas or just illogical ideas. And we had a series of discoveries which led to, um, led to how the body was managing itself in gravity, basically. And when we had figured that out, all of a sudden, uh, we'd, we'd done a, a very specific release on one of the adductors in my right leg. And I stood up straight for the first time in my life without any tension. It was a very bizarre experience. But but that's what led us believe that there's there's more to this than, than what we learn in school. There's more to this than what we've been educated about. And it started opening up this process of always looking for a better way and always investigating. Okay. So did you do, uh, during this period when you were developing the human garage, did you do any formal training? Did you go and do uh, physiotherapy uh, education? Did you do any biomechanical work or anything like that or was it kind of learn as you go well it depends on what you consider to be formal training um yeah i've spent uh, 25 years studying educating hiring people to train me paying for training going for courses and seminars i mean heck i started a business with a phd in medical science and had five doctors and dozens of therapists defending his science so yes there's a lot of education but the formalized education and most people can relate to this you go to school you learn a bunch of stuff then you go off and you go into your practice or into your career, and you use almost nothing that you learn in school. And I don't, it's not really no different in healthcare. Um, a lot of the education comes from being out there working with people and seeing live results. Yeah, that's and, totally, that's that's totally correct. I guess the letters yeah. the letters in front or behind your name are just they're really just a fail safe for someone who doesn't know you that says I have the minimum required education that someone should do to be able to practice what you think that you want from me. Yeah, I'm the, I'm, I'm the least trained or educated person here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. I mean, I have, I have actually technically outside of nutrition training and supplement training, I, you know, I've taken courses on biomechanics and fashion and stuff like that. But those are more, more interest courses that you would take as a practitioner. But for the most part, yeah, I, my training came from the street. But the, what, what that allowed me to do is ask a lot of dumb questions, Chris. And, you know, when you ask dumb questions, you get smart answers. And, you know, like, for example, um, let's, just, let's just jump off the deep end. Where do we start off with? I, I looked at it and said, okay, I have a problem. And my background, just so you know, is uh, when I got out of school in the 80s, 
Uh, you could go out and be a doctor for $150,000 a year. You could go and be a lawyer for about $200,000 a year. Or you could go into the wireless industry and technology and make three quarters of a million dollars a year. So I did what any young man would do. <laughs> went into wireless. Yeah. Went into technology. And yeah. I, went, I went where the money was. And, uh, and I, but as I started getting more and more uh, problems with sick or more and more dysfunctional, I started organizing more of my life around my dysfunction. So in other words, if I'm going to a telecom conference in Miami and I had a choice between Miami and California, I'd take the one that had a health conference somewhere around that time. And I started double dipping in my in my travel because I was really trying to figure out, you know, what the issue we know what the issue was. Mm-hmm. The the nice thing about asking stupid questions is I gotta as I said, let's dive off the deep end. I gotta ask the biggest one, which is is the brain in charge of the body? And you know, fundamentally, uh, scientifically, that's not true. It's, it's a command center, but it's not the command center. And if it was a command center, Chris, then why is it then when a baby's being developed that the heart beats before the brain is developed? That's interesting. So what do you mean about the brain not being in control? Well, it's not in charge. Okay. It's a control center. Yeah, so it's not – if you think of your body, like we we've, we've and contextualize this experience of being human – and we, we uh, try to make analogies so we feel grounded in those analogies. Like we say, our brain is like a computer. Well, let me give you another reference point. How about your body is like a computer and your brain is like a CPU? It runs programs. The brain is always analyzing the internal and external environments imposed upon us and adapting us to the environments. And, you know, the latest research on the vagal nerve shows that 90% of the information goes up the vagal nerve to the brain. Again, that's another indicator that maybe the brain isn't in charge. And so if, so the world of science and medicine starts to split right there, either I, either the brain is in charge of the body or the brain is just another organ that's part of the body's operation. And if you say the brain's in charge of the body, then the body's a meat suit. And then that's, that's where traditional medicine and thought processes go down. But there's this whole new world of people that are saying, Hey, there's way more to this than we think. Like for example, your fascia, which we were working on when you were here, Chris, yeah. is a hundred trillion cells. Your brain is a hundred billion cells. That's a thousand times. That's a thousand stomachs in your head, or, or sorry, in your fascia. Your your brain is or your fascia is a, a thousand times more organically dense than than it's supposedly the command center in the body. And if you think about the fascia from the inside of your skull to the inside of your feet, right on your toes, it's a complete sheet of material, connective material, and I'll give you a way to reference it. Think about that material. It's all one big sheet, and in there, there's pockets, and in those, in those pockets lie muscles, tendons, and bones, and organs. So basically, if you think about it that way, that's more of a true representation of the body, and the body has all these input systems or these intelligent systems that have to work together, and they're interdependent, and each one is dependent upon the other one. Like even the brain is dependent upon your senses to give you information. So one of the things that we get here with a lot of people is they'll have a neurological, like a vestibular inner ear balance issue, and their brain perceives uh, that they're falling over. Well, if you have a vestibular issue and you're trying to do body work or chiropractic work or alignment work or train yourself or get your glute to fire, it's not going to fire um, because neurologically the brain has the wrong information and the body acts accordingly. So the idea is, is that we can't separate uh, mechanics from neurology, from organ function, these are all have to be looked at together. And the problem with our current system of evaluation and treatment is they're all broken apart. Okay. I understand. I understand. I, I've my uh, self myofascial release to one degree or another is like a mainstay of almost all strength sports or almost all sports in, in general, uh, pretty much every from casual to professional sports person is going to have a a foam roller or a cross ball or whatever in their in their kit bag, right? So sure. to one degree, people are aware that the fascia is important, but it sounds like you're putting a lot more emphasis on it than previ- previously had been. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's a there's a lot of stuff. I mean, we don't have the time on this podcast to dig into it, and if people want to listen, there's there's a lot more where where I I've, I've gone into this into deeper fashions, but basically. You think about it this way, um, the, the fascia is 
completely wraps a body. It's super intelligent. It tra- information travels beyond the speed of light faster than you can feel it. Like if you were to, if you're sit there right now and you're clench your right jaw, you'll feel it in your right foot the second you clench your right jaw. This, the problem is, is that a nerve signal takes about a second and a half to make that same distance transit. And so if you really look at it, is the way that we are getting information that our brain and our body operates on, is it really what we're told? And the answer scientifically is coming up, no, no, no. So you, everywhere. Think, you, you think that it's something to do with the fascia that's communicating, is that right? Like the fascia's communicating signals? It, it does. There's no question about it. Um, it takes a second and a half for a nerve signal to go from the foot to the brain back to the foot again. So when you walk off a curb and you hit a sharp rock, how can you move so fast? You know, in medicine, we say it's in science, we say, oh, it's a reflex, like the ganglion reflex. But, but that's, an in, that's an unintelligent movement. If I hit my knee, a doctor hits my knee with a hammer, my knee is going to jolt, right? Yeah. But if I step off a curb and I have zero drop shoes and I step on a rock and I jump and I move intelligently, that's not the same response as a doctor hitting my knee with a hammer. So the question is, a nerve signal cannot travel to the brain that fast. So how is that signal getting there? Yeah, good, I, good, I know, question. good question. Good question. Good question. Well, so our, our hypothesis is it's fascia, and we deliver it every day by, you know, we can, we can demo it in just 10 seconds while you're sitting here on a table. But the whole point is, let's just say this. Without getting into the particulars and having cat fights about what is and what isn't, let's just say that the information that we have doesn't adequately explain the experiences that we are currently living in. And if that's the case, then we, that, that just opens the door to us to look and investigate. And the human garage is, we recognize that there's a truth in every single modality that's out there. And you know that we have MDs, we have chiropractors, we have uh, nutritionists, we have naturopath doctors, we've got body workers. We got PTs and neurologically trained trainers. We've got every form or every discipline that helps the human body into one location. You were very well. Not only uh, you, one you were very well armed with um, different practitioners while I was there. There was about, I think maybe six people upstairs, all of whom were from a different background or a different discipline. And then at one sure. point, I think about four of four of them were working on me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and that's the other part too is that the body. You know, we can get into that too, but the body just, it, it's, it, it's not the way that we think it is. And again, if we open up that question and that thought process, you start, to, you start to investigate and look at more. So part of the reason why there's four people working on you is that there's three distinct regions of the body, the lumbar, the thoracic, and the cervical. And each of those regions have its, has its own little structure, things that it does that's important, like, like pressure relief valve. Your head has a pressure relief valve, it's your ears. Your lumbar has a pressure relief valve. That's your, yeah, your, your backside. And your diaphragm itself, at the top of the diaphragm, has two pressure relief valves, one with the esophagus and one with the arteries. And, and the body is always trying to balance the pressure and the mechanics. And what you experience when you're there, there's three of us working on you. You're standing up, and there's three people touching you in different areas of your body. And what we're doing is stimulating a response, and we're asking your body to figure itself out. Yeah, for, for just as a, a brief segue here, if anyone is listening on iTunes, you're going to have to imagine this, or Spotify, wherever you're tuning in. However, if you are on YouTube, I'll make sure that Video Guy Dean overlays all of the footage, all of the imagery that I got while I was having this treatment in Human Garage. So head to Modern Wisdom on YouTube to check that out if you want to see just what Gary's actually talking about here. But it does it does look a little bit like a if it's a still image, it looks a little bit like an army of people are maybe fighting me. But if you see if you see a video, it's a number of people um twisting, right? There's a twisting motion going on. Yeah. Yeah. And what we're and what we're doing is we're provi- we're providing fascial inputs to different regions of the body. And the reason why we do this, this is actually the interesting thing, Chris, is uh, because people that have no reference to us, they're like, why are you doing therapy standing up? And I'm like, well, it's pretty simple in my mind. Uh, we're meant to be standing and walking in gravity. So if I want my body to act in a certain way, the best thing to do is put it in this natural environment and let it figure itself out. I looked at the human body and said this, you know, again, asking dumb questions. I, I looked at it and said, okay, if I'm going to fix myself, I'm going to approach it like a tech problem, like I did everything else. And I said, what are, what's my goal? I want, I have back pain, neck pain, I have bloating, I have brain fog, I have, I have pain in my feet. Um, 
I want to be able to stand and walk without pain and dysfunction. And at that point, that's all I was saying. I mean, I'm at the point now where I'm going to play sports again for the first time in two decades. Which is really what sport are you going to choose to play? I don't know. You know, I've been trying to make a decision, which I go back to, but I'm such a fan of golf, but I want to do something team-based. So maybe it's some volleyball. You've got, you've got the build. Uh, having been around you for a little while, you've got the build for someone a little bit bigger than a golfer. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's just that little white ball. It's such a pesky thing. You know, it's like I, all I wanted to do is get in the hole and all it does is fight me. Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, I've, I've felt that, felt that pain before as well. So, so the strongest action, I looked at and said, okay, what is it? What are the things that are imposed on, on the body? And literally, I wrote down like this, gravity, atmospheric pressure, um, emotional stress, uh, sleep deprivation, dehydration. I went through it and list all the things that were potentially wrong in my body or that were wrong. And only to find out that the first two had never been thought about in 3,500 years. We've never considered our, our body's ability to adapt um, to, com- uh, to compensate around atmospheric pressure and gravity. And since those are the two factors that are, that the single largest imposing factors on a human condition is atmospheric pressure and gravity. And in 3,500 years, we've never considered that at any form of therapy, mechanics, sports mechanics, in any way, shape or form. That just doesn't seem logical to me. And so when we when we looked at that, we started, we said, well, what happens when we put the body in gravity? And what we found out, as you saw, Chris, is a very unique thing happens. The body's strongest, strongest action of a human existence is our ability to adapt or compensate. And we're great at compensating. Now, the thing is, when we put the body in gravity and we give it the inputs, the body has to adapt to our inputs in gravity and the adaptation is a unification between the three areas of the body. And once that happens, everything else starts to just work better. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I remember when we sat down, I remember you discussing the spiral of gravity going down and how that can affect uh, affect different areas of the body. I remember you speaking about the atmospheric Correct. pressure as well. Yeah. So, how do how do natural forces like pressure, air pressure and gravity how do they unprime the body or how do they prime the body for injury? Should I say, or how do they unprime it for being optimal? Right. Okay. So yeah, um, I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to decide how far we go into these discussions. As far but, as you want, Gary. Yeah. We, we do have a time restriction though. We so we've got about 30 minutes left, right? So, yeah. So the, so basically imagine this, you're on a, if you've never held a gyroscope, I encourage people to just hold one for once. Because you put a little gyroscope the size of your palm in your hand, and you hold it in your arm straight out, and your whole body will want to turn around it. It's bizarre. But basically, we live on the planet Earth. Uh, Earth spins at a thousand miles an hour, and uh, that creates a centrifugal or spin gravity. And it travels at 66,000 miles an hour around the sun. So it's another gravitational force. And what we're doing is we're standing against it. And gravity is not just pulling us down. It actually pulls us and slightly torques us. And depending on our orientation and where we are, hemispheres, northern hemisphere, southern hemisphere, there's a slight difference. At the equator, there's a difference because gravity is imposing a different force on us in those behavior, uh, in those in those areas. So when we're in the northern hemisphere and we're being pulled down, you typically you're going to have a little bit of a pull from your left shoulder to your right hip. So you're pulling and rotating into your right a little bit. And that's why most people, that's why the most common injuries, 80% of people, they tend to have injuries in the same generalized areas, and that's because we have the same basic forces applied upon us. So 80% um, of people in the Northern Hemisphere have got an injury which is left shoulder or right hip, is that correct? No, they've got a tension pattern left shoulder to right hip. Okay. Usually, yeah, so we have a, a little joke here at the garage. We say that murderers are silent, but victims scream. And what I mean by that is that the tight muscles, the murderer, you don't feel it, it's silent. But what you feel is all the muscles reacting to it, all the screaming from all the muscles that are trying to resolve that one issue, the one muscle being tight. That's the referred pain, so to speak, right? Yeah, referred pain or reaction to. So, so typically people are tighter on one side. Most people can tell you I'm tighter on my right side or my left side. And most people are tighter on one side of their body. And the injuries typically happen on the other side. Because the body's compensating around it. But what I am saying is, is that 80% of people have the same basic tension pattern. 
because we do things basically the same way. <clears throat> we, we tend to throw the ball most of the time with our right hand, right with our right hand. Now, there's lefties too. And there's people that are back and forth, goofy or ambidextrous. But just generally, the majority of the world has, has the, the same type of issues. So if the same forces are implied upon the body, then there comes into things like socialization. Do I play a sport? Do I walk? Do I sit down? And all those things just start to change. And, but after a while, you start to notice patterns. In the physical medicine industry, most practitioners would see, you know, about, they'd have about 25 or 35 appointments a week. 35 is on the top side usually. Mm-hmm. And you're going to see people usually once or twice a week. Twice a week is kind of the norm when you're in a repair status. And so you're talking about somebody having somewhere between 12 and 18 clients a week they see. And they're going to double it up over the course of the month. And they're going to see them a couple times in the month. So they're most likely seeing about 50 to 60 people a month. In the human garage, and you know our format's open. We're, you know, we're into the two and a half to 3,000 appointments a month. So we have such a broader aspect to see things. And since it's an open format, um, I'm not only a witness as what's happening on my table when I'm working on you, Chris, or where we're working in a corner. I can see all the other people working what's going on. So my, my uh, scope of what, what is normal or what patterns are starts to, uh, starts to really enlarge. I guess your, and, your, your sample that you're taking data from in whatever form you want to say that is wider by, by a pretty big factor. If you, yeah. guys, if you guys are moving through between two to 3,000 clients a month, and as you said at the beginning, and this is something that I did want to emphasize for people that are listening at home, the range of, um, the range of clients that I saw while I was in there, I think you had a pregnant woman followed by me, then followed yeah. by the guy who played Superman in the 2005 yes. movie. Is that right? Yeah, Brandon Ralph. Yeah. Brandon, Brandon Rouse, is it? Rouse, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and you've got and NFL players and you've, you've, and you've got basketball players. and Yeah. Yeah. All so, sitting there on the same tables right beside each other going through the same therapy. You know, my general thing is if it works, it works. And it shouldn't be less because you have less money. Um, ours are, we're neutralizing therapy costs. So people pay the same price for the same work that gets done on a professional athlete gets done on a pregnant lady. Well, I mean, we a, may do different therapies, but... Yeah, you might not quite have the same physiological demands, but it's nice. It's certainly nice for people to be able to feel like they get the same level of treatment. I certainly know from personal experience that if you go into some physiotherapy studios, you know if you've kind of been put in with the apprentice or the master sometimes. Sure. And, and the especially when your health's on the line or an injury's on the line and you want to feel like you're getting the best service. It's not a, it's not a very conducive environment. So Definitely an, not for healing, right? Yeah, that's an, and that's an interesting dilemma, Chris, because then, you know, in the world of healthcare, we, what we do is we, we, uh, we um, put the practitioner, the guy who has the therapy on a pedestal. And you'll see that even if you go through our media and stuff like that, you'll see, uh, podcasts from all my practitioners, doctors, and stuff like that, because this isn't about me, first of all. And um, second of all, is that it's not a very good strategy to have the to have the the access to help people a limited resource. So I am a limited resource. There's only one of me. And um, but the idea is to be able to take and have a system that allows my that allows my staff, whether they've been here two months or three months or six months or twelve months or a year or five years to be able to deliver the same, get the same end result. And the same end result is, and we found a way of systematically doing that. Um, so you've been able the to junior practitioners as I was going to say, you've been able to expedite your training. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of hands on the junior practitioners are the hands for the senior practitioners and our practitioners are called motion mechanics and torque mechanics. So what happens is you start off as an assistant, um, and depending on your level of skill, your ability to understand, you move to become a torque mechanic, and then the senior, the the most advanced part is a is a as a motion mechanic, and then a master motion mechanic. And the 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 difference really is is that we encourage our our practitioners to be multidisciplined. Like for example, a master motion mechanic 
makes more money than a motion mechanic. But the reason why is because they understand the neurological rehabilitation. They understand the chemistry and the supplementation aspect. They understand the fascial work. They understand the chiropractic portion. So they have a wider range of knowledge. And But at the end of the day, really all you care about is, as a client, is that you come in, the pain that you have or the issue you have is looked at, understood, addressed, and resolved. And that's what we've been good at. And um, and it's it's not the Gary Lineham show for sure. And I'm trying to make myself less and less and less available. Um, well, I mean, that's how we, you, from a business perspective, that's how you make yourself uh, how you make the business bigger than you, right? And obviously, that's how you you allow yourself to scale as well. Um, yeah, I think what you've touched on the there must be you must hear some skeptical voices in the industry, both from people who are established and defensive, from people who don't understand or aren't willing to understand. Um, but I think what you focused on is correct. If someone comes in and they have a pain or they have a discomfort or they have a problem. And when they leave or at the end of their course of treatment or whatever it is, if that has been reduced, then the method has been effective. And correct. do you think in the industry? Not some- everybody buys into that, though. You know, like I'll give you a really I'll give you an example. Twenty five percent of our clients are doctors, medical practitioners, chiropractors, physical therapists, surgeons, whatever. And uh, I was dealing with a guy not too long ago. He'd been in pain for about 15 years. Um, and within 45 minutes, he's out of pain, literally out of pain for the first time in 15 years. And, and I said, you know, he was in, uh, somebody else got him to come in, bought him a initial consultation. It was, he kind of pushed him into going and, uh, and, and he's, he's an orthopedic by the way. And, uh, and at the end of it, I, I just said, Hey, how do you feel? He says, interesting enough, I'm out of pain. And I said, well, let's, let's go forward and let's, let's take this to the next step and let's work this out so that you can have this as permanent solution, you know, something that you know how to manage. Because, you know, science hasn't worked out on this. I, you know, I'm thinking I'm going to wait a little while to see, to see how this all shapes up. And I'm like, you got to be kidding. You've been in pain for 15 years. You're now out of pain for the first time in 15 years and you want to wait and talk to somebody about it? You know, yeah, it's, that's, I mean, that's, that's kind of, that's a perfect example for what I was referring to there, which is, potentially people dogmatically sticking to whatever their ideology is, whatever their school of thought is, and not not permitting themselves to allow the effect of whatever the treatment is to move through them. So, I mean, why... That's a society, Chris, that's a society thing. So we, we value in our society time and lineage more than we value results. <laughs> that's a, that's, that's a, lovely, a lovely little synopsis. No, you, you were to, you're absolutely right. I mean, it... Does it feel sometimes like you guys at the Human Garage, because you are quite progressive, you know, there's a bed of crystals for um, decharging, which I want to get onto in a second, and there's the talk therapy and three practitioners working at once. Do you sometimes feel like that's maybe an easy target for um, kind of vindictive uh, critics and stuff like that to go after? You know, I, I don't. I, I guess it could be. I don't know if it hasn't been so far, and I'll tell you why. Is because publicly we've never told people how we do what we do. We just do it. So, so the one thing it's hard to argue with. You can't argue with with results. You also we, can't. You we, also can't argue against a process that you don't know what it is either. I suppose. Correct. Yeah, you can't pick it apart. So, and and, and by the way, that's purpose. Yeah, purposely. Like, how do you, do you really care how I did it? Or do you just really want to know that it's been done? Because, you know, I can spend all this time drawing out the technical aspects and talking about the science of it and back and forth and our investigation, how we found it, or, or just, just want it done. And that's, so the idea is that it kind of splits into two categories. The people who just really want to get it done initially, and then, uh, then the ones that, that, you know, that have to understand. And if they want to understand, they come in here. We'll explain. We explain to people as they come through the process. Um, we we explain everything that we're doing, why we're doing it. We we show them the thought process, even if they have some history, like their body work or a chiropractor. This is how you would look at it before, correct? This is how we look at it. This is what we're going to do. And we're always there to explain to people. But just generally, as a rule of thumb, I think that the more we try to explain right now, the more 
the less credible it sounds. I mean, uh, listen, I was just working, and just before I got I got on this uh, podcast with you, I had a guy that I've been working with, and he was an old client. He's been, you know, f- uh, probably four and a half years ago, five years ago, really when we were starting the thought process, right? And uh, so he hadn't been been here in about four years, somewhere in that range. And he comes back in, and normally looking at him, it would have been okay. We're going to be here for the next uh, twelve hours of therapy, six sessions, or seven sessions, eight sessions. And in 35 minutes, he walked out better than he had ever walked out of the human garage. And, and that was, that's, a, that's a shift because even for a practitioner who's used to delivering a result, but, but they know what kind of time and energy it takes to deliver the result, to be in a situation where you know, 20, 30 minutes so they can do more than they used to do in eight to 10 hours. That's a little hard for people to swallow. And by the way, that's our biggest problem with uh, practitioners today is training them is that it just looks too simple. They can't let go of the tether to their previous education to, to one degree or another. Oh, yeah. And this has got to be the worst industry in the world where people are tethered to education that I've ever seen. Well, it's, it's interesting. So I was, I was learning about uh, a, a theory called working from first principles. It's something which Elon Musk does a lot. And it definitely sounds to me like, you're, for want of a better term, your lack of education, formal education within the industry has permitted you to look at these issues in a new light and yeah. you know if you're if you guys are doing between 2000 and 3000 um clients a month and of those about uh, it's tw- actually appointments 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 sorry <laughs> sorry about that yeah. so but that would yeah. mean that would mean sort of circa what 100 to 200 healthcare professionals if about 25% of them are, are from the healthcare industry if you're seeing people once a week or twice a week something like that you know it's a, it's a a good number of healthcare professionals are coming through the door probably about 750 since we started Wow. So, I mean, that's yeah. that's a significant number of people with, you know, I mean, what's that, 750? You do about five years in medical school for each of those people. So you're talking on like nearly 4,000 years of study. And, yeah. And, yeah, absolutely. And these people are coming back. For one reason or another, yeah. they are coming back. Yeah, usually, usually it starts off as uh, either skeptical or not come in here with an issue. With all the issues, then they usually trial it with a few friends or patients, something like that. And it works out, they just start referring. And that's why we didn't have a website until last year. And we weren't open to the public you until didn't, last year. You didn't we have just, a website until last year? Yeah. It, 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 there's no point in, like, if, I mean, we have, a, we have a reputation. People are trying to get here. There's no point in knowing people even, even further if, they, if the waiting list is, like, eight months or a year. Um, like, we had people last year that uh, we were calling them up. We're cycling through. Uh, I did a podcast with Ben Greenfield last year, and there was there was a couple of people that was about 150 people that still hadn't had some sort of contact with us from here, and we're contacting them. They're like, "Oh yeah, I forgot that I'm on that wait list. That's how long it is sometimes." <laughs> and we're and by the way, we're we're way better now because we've increased our capacity. But it's been a non it's been a growing process. Like a year ago, there was only six people total that did therapy. Today, there's like five people doing therapy. How many was that, sorry? Six last year, and there's about 25 this year. Okay, and I guess, as you've said, expediting the training from being previously, how long was it? You know, it's nine to 12 months to have somebody functional, and, you know, realistically, you know, 12 to 18 months to to be comfortable with I could walk away. Today, that's uh, 75%, 80% reduced because... It's just the, the tenets of what we do. I wish we had more time to talk about how torque affects the body, but that is the magic of what we do. The un, the untalking. Well, I mean, that was you know that was the buzzword. If I was to take a word away from the uh, the session that we'd had, it it would have been untalking. And you know the the spiral down. There's a a cool YouTube video that I will make sure that Dean overlays in YouTube, and I will put in the show notes below where a guy pops a flower in a funnel. And he's next to the equator. Have you seen this? Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's so pretty neat. He pops it in on one side and it spins one way and he pops it in on the other side and it spins the other way. And then he walks to this line <laughs> on the floor and puts it on it and pops the water in and it falls straight down. Our bodies yeah. are, uh, I'm not sure what percentage water, but I know that it's a lot. 75. 75% water. There we go. Thank you. That's why I've got you here, Gary. You're just an assistant to, uh, <laughs> to deliver me facts about water. Um, and, you know, it... Does it sound ridiculous that our bodies would be subject to that as well? Well, I mean, we're not constantly draining, 
But you know, think think about it this way. I say this all the time to people. We're seventy five percent water, so we're basically we're an aquarium with legs. <laughs> and if you th- and you start, you know, I like to take these wild, extreme comparisons to sh- to either show how right or how wrong things are. So basically, every law that governs water on the planet Earth governs the in- entire inside of your body. And the fact that we think that physics and engineering and and natural laws of nature that 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 we should be different is the problem. I mean, we just and human beings, we're on the top of the food chain. We're the best in the universe. We've you know grew up thinking we're alone, and no one else in this whole fourteen point uh, five billion year universe that goes out hundreds of billions of light years. Uh, no one else could be alive. I mean, it's just. Think about how ignorant we are when we say stuff like that. Well, on a, to segue on that, I recently did a podcast with uh, Adam Frank, who wrote a book and recently did uh, published a paper on exactly that, what the likelihood is of us being alone in the universe. And- Actually, if you just want to go to just go to NASA's website and you'll see it all leaking out. Uh, with UCLA, they just did a report and they said... No, actually, even in our own solar system, there are thousands of planets in our solar system that have to have life. I mean, they're really reversing the thought process. It's just, it's just when you've stuck to a, a parting line for you know for like a hundred years, and then you find new evidence, you don't want to t- tackle it so quick because. Our, do you mean in our galaxy or in our solar system? No, in, or sorry, in, in our solar system, in our galaxy, they're just saying life is everywhere. And this is all new stuff NASA has been re- releasing over the last 24 months. And it's not big press releases. You just look because they're, they're required to release. So they actually, they, they, uh, the UCLA NASA report just said that the entire universe is teeming with life. Okay. And, well, I mean, and Adam, that's a big diversion be, from where we are. Adam Frank will be, uh, will be very happy to hear that. So I want to, I want to cover two more topics before we, uh, before we sure. finish up. So first off, I want to talk about how you think that. Um, strength and conditioning complement what you're doing or how they fit into what it is that you guys are doing. We've discussed the fact okay. that the body, the body repatterns movements and moves itself around pain. To me, it would feel if someone's had pain for an awful long time and has reprogrammed bad movement patterns, it seems difficult to believe that they would be able to be repatterned in the space of one hour. Does that make sense? Yeah, fair enough. Uh, so the so there's there's uh, there's structural. Uh, so the balances the energy that my body uses to stand against gravity, and then there's movement. Movement is where those patterns come in. And if you don't re- rehabilitate motion or movement afterwards, then the we are basically our bodies are a collection of everything that we have done to date. Whether it's movement, whether it's food, whether it's drugs, whether it's uh, psychological, emotional issues, our body is the scoreboard for everything. And, um, and if you could think, maybe we could uh, do one thing for the listeners. Yeah. If you could take and put your hands on your knees so your thumbs are on the inside. Um, so thumbs are on the I'm inside. Doing, of knees. I'm doing it now. I'm doing it now. Yeah. Okay. So turn from your thumb on your one side, your right knee, turn your thumb towards your little finger. So you're turning away from the center of your body. Mm-hmm. And initially, within seconds, you're going to feel your arch tighten up. You're going to feel your quad, your lateralis tighten up, your glute tighten up, and all the way up into the back. Do you get any of that, Chris? I think, well, I've got sweaty hands at the moment. But yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. yeah. Okay, so so basically what that is is applying a little bit of lateral torque in the knee. And then all these muscles, the two lateralis, the uh, gastrox, the uh, medial arch, my um, piriformis all tighten up immediately. If you turn it the other way, so that the little fingers are coming to the thumbs and you hold that within seconds, your back will release, your quads will release, your legs will release. And that's, that's a side example, by the way, that we have a home care program. We're going to be out in about two months. We're uh, partnering with Gwyneth Paltrow. And we're putting it out to the world for free. You're partnering with reduce- Gwyneth Paltrow for a home care program. Yeah. That is uh, a big name. That is a really, really big name to have behind a home care program. I mean, it's not one that I would have, immediately i guess is gwyneth paltrow into a, a wellness and and stuff like yeah, that. yeah she she has a platform out here called goop g-o-o-p okay um what's don't go- ask what about is- the names <laughs> it's not it's not it doesn't sound very nice does it but um so what does goop do uh there it's a health and wellness platform but it's for people that are moving towards health and wellness it's not the same kind of people that we're talking about 
who are into fitness, nutrition, who can re repeat to you what they're, you know, why they're taking a microbiome test and stuff like this. These are more, it says a broader base of people, yep. but it has a big reach. It has, you know, roughly about 50 million people in their reach. Wow. And so what we're doing is a home care program, which is in 15 to 20 minutes, you can reduce your own tension and pain in your body by up to, up to 75%. The reason why we're doing that, and the reason I did that with your knees, that's one of the home care activities. And the reason why we, we're releasing this in this way is that part of the time that we're rolling out and stretching tight muscles, when it's really just a torque in a joint. And if you remove the torque out of the joint, the muscles automatically relax. Um, I'll send it over to you, Chris, but I'll send a, I was working with, uh, for those of you guys, football fans, but different football out here. American, we have uh, yep. <laughs> American football. We have the Philadelphia Eagles and Haloti Nada. He's a 345-pound linebacker. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's been in the league for 16 years, I think. He, uh, you know, he's one of those guys that walks really slow from the car to the, the place. You know, it doesn't move that fast, right? It's linebacker. <laughs> he's 345 so, pounds. I'm surprised he can get out of the car. He's a big old oh, he's, boy. He, Big boy, yeah. So uh, we did the uh, torque work on him, and uh, without any warm up, he just ran. He ran the forty. He ran it eight times. He uh, ran it as fast as when as the day he qualified in the league. And we did no other form of therapy to him. We just removed what was stopping him from performing. So my my basic belief is this: is that the body and the muscles are designed to do a job, and the job that they're designed to do, if you remove the restrictions, it'll do it. And so we spend all this time tr trying to get like my glute to fire harder or whatever, remove the torque from the muscles and the body will perform accordingly. So this goes back to your, one of the first principles that you mentioned, which is that you believe that the body, the body knows what it wants to do and the body's able to fix itself. But sometimes there's inhibitions and these roadblocks that get in the way. And those yeah. are, those are manifesting themselves in the fascia. Mostly in the joints, in, in the, the fascia, in the joints, in the fascia, yes. in the joints, mostly. And the one of the remedies to that is untorking. Yeah. And if you untorque the muscles, then you get to see what's really happening. Because like, it's like when we did the knee, you felt, uh, you felt a couple of muscles starting to tighten up. Well, if you hold that there for 30 minutes, you're going to want to, you're going to want to take a roller roll out of that muscle. But if you just have to turn the knee and, and provide a counter torque and that all goes away by itself, then the rolling of the muscle was actually an ill-effective action. It was actually creating damage to the body or tension the body didn't need to have. And that's part of the, that's part of the issue. So like what we've done with our athletes is they, they stretch between 75 and 90% less once their body's untorqued and they have a basic untorquing pattern for themselves. And, uh, and little things like this is like, uh, like running pro athletes without warming up. I'm not suggesting you do that, but yeah. But, but I, you know, knowing what we're doing, I'm taking a pro athlete who doesn't run and he's running his fastest time in 16 years just by taking the torque out of the joints. I mean, it sounds, some of the, uh, some of the results, some of the claims are, they're unbelievable. Um, yeah. It, it, yeah. And the, the cool part about it is, is that's, that's because they're all true. And, yeah. And yeah, it's, well, it's, that's a base, when you base our therapy, what you said earlier about skeptical, yeah, you can be skeptical about it, but you can't argue with the results that's you can argue with why we got them <laughs> yeah, that's, the, that's the bottom line hey so i wanted to finish off i know that there will be some healthcare practitioners and also some soft tissue workers chiropractors other physiotherapists and other people who work with people close to them on a daily basis a lot of my uh co-hosts on this are in the medical profession as well sure. and we had a really interesting discussion when you laid me down on a bed that had crystals underneath it and yeah. I just wanted you to try and retell, <laughs> re, try and retell one of the stories that you had to do with the way that people who are practicing on patients can sometimes have a, uh, they can have a bad time due to, yeah. due to energy, the way that the patients energy. are feeling. Yeah. I just wanted, yeah, I wanted yeah, to I mean, hear that because I was fascinated by that. Sure. I mean, look at, uh, you walk into a room, somebody walks into a room, they're really angry. You can feel it. You know, sometimes it's like that. Like a friend walks in or, or a wife or girlfriend walks in the room, you did something wrong, you feel it. So energy is transferred and energy is transferred and collected. And there's like, there's just, there's so much science to prove that's true to even acknowledge, to say that it doesn't is, is not right anymore. 
Um, and so what happens is the body collects and holds on to the energy from people. And so what we've done is we, we use a lot of techniques that we just don't say to things. They say crystals on the table. I showed you that. That's a little trade secret. We uh, use quartz crystals organized around the table in a very specific fashion to create a net result. And one of them is decompression. And decompression and what causes compression is trauma or torque. Same thing. So what we do is uh, as we started putting the crystals on the tables, the client's uh, treatment uh, would speed up by twice. And the practitioners could do three to five times more work without feeling the fatigue they would normally feel. Um, and it's basically, again, it's just using something that doesn't sound like it's credible. So we just don't make a big deal out of it. We just do it because it works. That's interesting. I think there's definitely an implication, no matter whether you think that the solution is quartz crystals on a bed or mindfulness practice or sitting with your thoughts or yoga or anything. I think that there is definitely an implication for healthcare professionals that by one system or another, whether it's socially, psychologically, as you're discussing the mechanism that this particular energy works on, I do think that it is, um, it's an important, uh, an important thing for them to keep in mind that they are dealing with people that are sick and unwell all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's, there's a lot of stuff that goes along with that. I mean, I used to get sick going home and I wasn't like, I didn't put hands on people until just a little under 10 years ago. And, and I, I didn't, wasn't prepared for what would happen when you have, when you're working with sick and, and frustrated and people that have through horrible abuses and sexual abuse and physical abuse and all kinds of injuries and stuff like that. That stuff is, it's pretty thick and pretty heavy and having a mechanism to clear it is really important. If you're a practitioner and you don't have a daily routine or routine to clear that stuff, eventually it adds up. And what we're doing is we still see practitioners who are, been 20 25 30 years working with people like that and we're cleaning up that mess now it's best that people if you don't have a routine to learn one and a lot of the stuff that we use uh, chris uh, over the next uh between now and uh, q1 next year we'll be publishing a lot of it i was literally uh, i was literally free. just yeah. i was literally just about to say so obviously you're talking about the the home therapy that you'd be doing which is typically more for patients for practice yeah. for practitioners will there be any resources that they'll be able to tap into which will assist them yeah a couple of things Things uh, it, again, if it if it works at home, it usually works in the practitioner environment. So, um, uh, so yeah, how we organize crystals around the table and different effects, including decompression, charging uh, the body, um, energized for both male and female. There's also uh, for the first time ever in the history of the garage, uh, we're going to be uh, doing outward certifications starting in about three months, and we're going to be training our training torque mechanics. And our intention is to use. Torque mechanics work really well with chiropractic offices um, because the body often, the spine, when it's been torqued for a long time, it gets untorqued. It needs to be, uh, needs to be adjusted. And so we're going to be uh, certifying torque mechanics out because the one thing that we have is we have people from all over the world trying to get in. The one thing that we're short on is people to deliver care. So we're going to take the care on the road and uh, instead of just trying to build a bunch of human garages, we're just going to start training people how to, how to help people as quick as we can. You'd mentioned that before. Is that going to be a franchising or a licensing or how's that going to work? Yeah. So the general mode out general mode is that, that uh, people that are registered torque mechanics will get leads from us because we have, we have a plethora of leads coming in. I was going to say, and you're, you're not going to be short on lead generation, right? No, no, that's not going to be a problem. Um, as a matter of fact, that's part of the reason why we took down our website years ago. It's just that uh, you have to, you have to have some sort of control of the flow. And now we want to open it up and, uh, and give, give people, like literally if you're a chiropractor out there and you want to do this work, you'll be able to do portions of this work by having two torque mechanics work with you. And what our chiropractors uh, will tell you is that they have a 75% uh, reduction of force in the adjustment, and the adjustment lasts three to five times longer when you take the torque out of the body. Wow. Well, I mean, you know, it, I think over the coming the coming weeks and coming months, I'll definitely be posting a lot more of your stuff. Uh, I think there'll be a lot of people that will be interested in it. Can you tell For the, sure. can you tell the listeners at home, there will be some people that I know that are listening in LA and not too far from you. Can they, can you tell them where they can find you first online and then where the practice is? Sure. Yeah. We're in uh, Marina Del Rey on uh, beach Avenue, right down in the heart of Venice and Marina Del Rey. Um, you can get us at uh, humangarage.net. And if they are coming in off your podcast, if they put your name in the referral bar, 
they're not going to get in right away, but they're going to jump to the head of the line. We take care of our, our clients, the referrals, our media partners first and their referrals. And then, then we go off to everybody else after that. So they put your name into our wait list. Uh, what we'll do is we'll move them to the to the front of the wait uh, the wait list. That's fantastic. Thank you. I really appreciate that, Gary. So if you're listening at home, Modern Wisdom, when you do your referral or quote Chris Williamson yourself, I wanted to say as well, Gary, I've actually got the uh, guys behind Essential Oil coming on soon. Essential yeah. Oil Wizardry. Um, Yo, you got, uh, Dr. Nick, man, I've, he is my favorite. Dr. Nick is a special human being. <laughs> and uh, there are no there are no oils anywhere in the world like his. We have searched the the entire world, and that's why we partnered with Essential Oil. I know. So I, uh, I I heard him on Ben Greenfield, and I, I really wanted to get a hold of him after I'd uh, after I'd listened to him. It's another, you know, from a similar kind of school as yourselves. It's it's the sort of thing which does sound contrary, and it sounds different, but you know, bottom line results, results are, are interesting. And I think it's worthy of further investigation. Well, the, uh, the uh, British Medical Journal uh, was the first one, I think, to report on two things. Um, which, you know, because we, we, we listen to allopathic, but British Medicine Journal reported on um, MRSA, seven, seven clients who use Manuka honey and uh, terminal, terminal clients for MRSA. Um, and use Manuka honey to clear it. And the other part too is, uh, is the other than the American Medical Journal, they have lots of references to essential oils frequency. Um, that there's not a bacteria in the world that is resistant to essential oils. Um, so that's one you can st- you know you can put in your back pocket. And use. The, the, those are some unbelievable sort of stats there. That's the British Medical Journal talking about Manuka honey and uh, bacteria resistance to aromatherapy oils, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible. They had seven patients there who had lesions that were going to die from MRSA. And they, at this point, they got nothing left to try whatever. So they uh, used Manuka honey. All seven of them lived. And uh, there's a whole bunch of things like that coming. Just watch over the next couple of years. Uh, what we think is what we've been told and what we think about how the body works. Just not that way. And I just encourage people to have an open mind and just investigate a little bit more. And keep asking the question why. I was going to say, do you do you feel like this is the beginning of the crest of a wave towards a new direction for um, wellness and for uh, the way that the medical world looks at, looks at fixing people? Absolutely, we are on the we are on the forefront. We're we are we are breaking uh, new science, new frontiers every single day here. And if we're doing it here, there's other people doing it all over the world. We just don't know about them yet. Maybe we're in a better spot. We get a bit more media here, but. Whoever you are out there, if you're actually changing the world and, and doing things that are going to actually benefit the world, just keep doing it and don't listen to people. Well, hopefully we'll have uh, contacted some of them and they'll have a kindred spirit with yourself on the other, <laughs> side, sure. on the other side of the internet. So, Gary, I really appreciate your time. I, I loved my time when I came out to come and see you. I'm hopefully going to be back in LA not very soon and I can't wait to come back and see you again. Um, For sure. I, absolutely, Chris. It's, it's been a blast. Thank you, man. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 